0: Welcome to the first in a series of philosophical discussions with your host, Dr. Andrew MacDonald. That's me. So in the first episode, we will be looking at the very infamous and famous text by Friedrich Nietzsche. Thus spoke Zarathustra. And we're just going to deal with working our way through the prologue section. So how is this going to work? Is that we're going to read through the text and then we're gonna have a nice little discussion about it as we go okay let's get rolling as they say so when Zarathustra was 30 years old he left his home and the lake of his home and went into the mountains here he had the enjoyment of his spirit and his solitude and he did not weary of it for 10 years but at last his heart turned, and one morning he rose with the dawn, stepped before the sun, and spoke to it thus. So let's stop for a second. What I find particularly interesting here in the initial section is that when he says he's 30 years old, what I find particularly interesting is a specific age. Because before 30, or at least, maybe you could say, in around your mid-20s to at least your 30s, your life is taken care of and what I mean by this is that really from up until you're born you've got your parents to look after you and really your life has been given some sort of form, a sense of structure and it's dealing with the whole aspect of school life and everything having a foundation within your life to give it a semblance of meaning But let's say roughly around our sort of mid-twenties into our thirties and so forth. So let's say once we've been to university, or at least once school period is finished, then we could say there's going to be a form of which we start to slip away from the structure. And so we've got this sense of wanting to leave what you've known. Basically leave your home. And as Zarathustra does, goes into the mountains and that's exactly what I think really Nietzsche is alluding to here is that we reach that point in our life in which we have to go into the mountains we have to ultimately discover our own way in the universe or our own meaning to our lives and it's at this point we then try to rebuild or reform the structure for ourselves that had been given to us from our own childhood and what's also interesting here is a sense of form of moving into the idea of let's say spirituality in the most general sense or at least giving you an alternative prospect because at least if you have some sort of form of text and so forth you can work with then you could say aha suddenly my life has meaning And that's what we tend to do as well as a human species is that once we have a big crisis in our lives, we say to ourselves, ah, I need to rediscover that. And then what we can do is find other big tomes and big texts in which we then go, ah, Christianity's got the answer for me, or maybe it's Buddhism, or maybe it's Hinduism, and so on. Continuing on then, Great Star... What would your happiness be if you had not those for whom you shine? You have come up here to my cave for ten years. You would have grown weary of your light and of this journey without me, my eagle and my serpent. But we waited for you every morning, took from you your superfluity and blessed you for it. Behold, I am weary of my wisdom, like a bee that has gathered too much honey. I need hands outstretched to take it. I should like to give it away and distribute it until the wise among men have become happy in their folly and the poor happy in their wealth. To this end, I must descend into the depths as you do at evening when you go behind the sea and bring light to the underworld, too, superabundant star. Like you, I must go down as men, to whom I want to descend, call it, so bless me then, tranquil eye, that can behold without envy even and an excessive happiness, bless the cup that wants to overflow, that the waters may flow golden from him, and bear the reflection of your joy all over the world, behold, this cup wants to be empty again, and Zarathustra wants to be a man again, So let's then take a moment to reflect upon that lovely big poetic section. We've got the most obvious thing that's happening here, that Zarathustra has went into the mountains and gained knowledge, and then he wants to go down, and then precisely distribute that knowledge to everyone. On a deeper level here, I think there's a lot to be said about what Nietzsche's view of what happens within philosophy. And we can see this within, for instance, Descartes, in which there's that move from what's traditionally held as knowledge, moving away from what we hold as facts, or we hold to be true, and through philosophical reflection and thought, we're then able to gain a form of wisdom that's going to be greater for us, better for us, healthier for us, and then we can come back into the world and then make everything better again. So there's that relation into goodness for philosophical method. That is to say, once we've had a philosophical investigation, once we've acquired knowledge, that knowledge is then going to be healthy for us, good, and it's going to be good for other people as well. And in a way, it would be selfish for us then to keep it for ourselves if it's going to be healthy for us and good for us and ultimately help the development of other people in order to arrive at truth in a capital T, wherever that is, then surely we have to distribute it out. There's also something here happening on another level. Traditionally, philosophy, and through philosophical investigation, likes to base, therefore, the idea of truth on metaphysics. And the easiest way to understand a metaphysical thing would be our ideas of the soul or God. So when we think about the ideas of the soul or God, it's initially something that you can't see, but it can exist, or rather does exist, through logical argumentation. So we can say that even though we don't see God, that we can certainly argue that God exists. And then it depends on which proof you want to go to, of course, but through the various different proofs that God exists. And the same could be said for the soul as well, just because we can't see the fact that the soul exists in a material sense that you can still prove that it does through argumentation however in the sense of which we're dealing with the concept of metaphysics here is more to do with the idea of providing a foundation philosophy creates that metaphysical basis in order to base our Ideas upon that of a pure truth, something that's not going to be flawed in any given way in comparison to our everyday knowledge. And so, what Nietzsche is saying here is this movement going upwards is ultimately to say what philosophy tends to do in general is that it moves upwards, creates these metaphysical foundations for things, and then it goes back downwards, using that as a foundation to base truth on. So again here, this idea of going down, I have to go down to whom I want to descend, call it. This idea of going down and descending from the mountain is a really interesting idea because Nietzsche is saying that when philosophers create these foundations and when they have these very, at times, technical metaphysical models and foundations and philosophical structures for our knowledge, then they ultimately get stuck in their own egoism as well, and they get stuck in a ivory tower situation. And so you can see this sort of egoism that philosophers have, in which they can argue, I have my methodology and structure and truth, and therefore I'm much more superior to you. And of course, you get that through the sort of infamous philosophical clashes that have happened throughout various different people always clashing against each other and quite humorously because that's the way it's going to work you get for instance Plato versus Aristotle is a good example here as we have the Platonic model for things versus the Aristotelian model but both have the same problem in the sense that they both think their way is right and better than the other and so we have this idea of philosophy itself as being a specialist subject that's too good for everybody else it's better than the sciences it's better than the arts it's better than everything else and certainly in the case of Plato Plato argues that you better do philosophy otherwise you're not going to go to the best form of the afterlife and while you pretty much are absolutely screwed for the rest of your life, because it's that necessary to us as a subject. And we also have the idea of modern philosophy as being a very specialist subject. And again, we can get the idea in terms of the concepts and technicality, of uses of concepts and language is automatically a barrier, because then it becomes very much an elitist and purely just an intellectual pat on the back that's inherited from all this previous sense of my methods better than yours, my understanding of the world's better than yours, so we've got the really the idea of philosophy as being this elite specialist subject, but here Nietzsche says no, no it's not a specialist subject at all, this idea of elitism, it's much more a thing that's closely related back into that form of spirituality let's say something that people then go to find in order to try and reach knowledge for themselves and therefore philosophy is not this elite idea but rather it's much more the idea that it's more widely distributed easily digested in which you then want to go acquire knowledge and then go back to the message and have a discussion within the public and I think that's an important point here is that philosophy is not this specialist subject, but rather something that should be for everyone, and a subject in which everybody can have a discussion about it and get engaged with it. Section 2 Zarathustra went down the mountain alone, and no one met him. But when he entered the forest, an old man who had left his holy hut to look for roots in the forest suddenly stood before him. And the old man spoke thus to Zarathustra This wanderer is no stranger to me. He passed by here many years ago. He was called Zarathustra. Be he is changed. Then you carried your ashes to the mountains. Will you today carry your fire into the valleys? Do you not fear an incendiary's punishment? Yes. I recognize Zarathustra, his eyes are clear, and no disgust lurks about his mouth. Does he not go along like a dancer? How changed Zarathustra is. Zarathustra has become a child, an awakened one. What do you want now with the sleepers? You lived in solitude as in the sea, and the sea bore you, alas. You want to go ashore? Alas, do you want again to drag your body yourself? Zyathustra answered, I love mankind. The first image that we have here that the priest states, is that of knowledge as being like a fire, bringing this fire into the valley or the general populace. And by doing so, the priest is saying that knowledge is dangerous And if the general public gets wind of exactly this kind of knowledge that Zarathustra is going to bring to them, it could precisely start a massive fire and come back to bite them straight right on the butt. And another way to think about the danger here as well that's being alluded to is that of the afterlife and the kind of knowledge that you will be giving people is going to have not only a harmful effect upon their afterlife, but also Zarathustra's own. Do you not fear, he's saying, eternal damnation for this kind of knowledge that you're going to be passing on? And the next image we have is Zarathustra as a dancer. And what I think is important about this image of the dancer is its relation to a love of the world and getting caught up in the goings-on, various different dancing of precisely nature itself. And nature representing a big dance on a grand scale of things. For example, you could see how waves moving upon the ocean would be a form of dance, swaying back and forth. The same thing as the wind blows the branches and the leaves in the tree. The third image that we have is that of Zarathustra as a child and having become awakened. And this is an interesting image because we have the relationship between knowledge and becoming enlightened and the distinction between the knowledge that was gained upon Zyathustra's reflection in the mountain, that philosophical reflection they had, and precisely that of the everyday knowledge of the people, what should be surprising is this relation of a child to this enlightened knowledge. It's surprising because once we become enlightened, you think you suddenly then attained the higher form of knowledge and therefore became wiser. And we attribute that idea of becoming wise with becoming older. So wise old man, or that of a cliched image of a bearded man in a toga, like Socrates, would fit in quite well with what we'd think of what enlightened knowledge is but Nietzsche gives us quite the opposite view he says it's childlike and what he means here is that we have to go back to things in a playful destructive imaginative creative phase in which we were in this childlike state of things and that's becoming more enlightened and not this image of an old man who's become set about his ways. And then we get Zarathustra's answer, why did you come down from the mountains at all? Because I love mankind. And so for the rest of section two, we have a nice discussion between philosophy, how Nietzsche sees philosophy, and its contrast between religion. Why, said the saint, did I go into the forest and the desert? Was it not because I loved mankind all too much? Now I love God. Mankind I do not love. Man is too imperfect a thing for me. Love of mankind would destroy me. Zarathustra answered, What did I say of love? I am bringing mankind a gift. Give them nothing, said the saint. Rather take something off them and bear it with them that will please them best if only it be pleasing to you, and if you want to give to them, give no more than alms, and let them beg for that, now answered Zarathustra, I give no alms, I am not poor enough for that, the saint laughed at Zarathustra, and spoke thus, see to it that they accept your treasures, they're mistrustful of hermits, and do not believe that we come to give, our steps ring, too lonely through their streets and when at night they hear in their beds a man going by long before the sun has risen they probably ask themselves where is that thief going do not go to men but stay in the forest go rather to the animals why will you not be as i am a bear among bears a bird among birds and what did the saint do in the forest asked theustra The saint answered, I make songs and sing them. And when I make songs, I laugh, weep and mutter. Thus, I praise God. So for the priest, we have that relationship into mankind, but through his hatred of mankind. And why the priest hates mankind is because man is an imperfect thing. And because it's imperfect, it's impure. And how could you love something that's impure? And God in the traditional sense is a transcendent being, completely pure, completely perfect, completely beyond all human comprehension. And when you think upon the idea of God, it makes you think upon our own imperfections and our own flaws. Then we have the relation into knowledge as being a gift. Zathustra giving knowledge as a gift to everyone and the priest being very suspicious of this. This, interestingly enough, touches upon a deeper point that Nietzsche is saying here. The relationship between education and knowledge, in which if you have knowledge, don't just give it to someone in fact, as it's said here. If you want to give it to them, give them no more than alms and make them beg for that. So, in a way, it's saying if you have knowledge, then you can't simply just give it away. You have to make people beg for it or pay for it. As the priest is saying here, we have to make people pay for that knowledge. It's not something that's free. You have to come every Sunday precisely to church to hear that knowledge. You can't just get it anywhere. You have to be a member of the church, be a member of the organization in order to acquire it. Nobody can just have it for free. And when you do try to say what you're going to give to people is good for them, people are going to be incredibly suspicious of it as well and say why is this good for me and they're going to be hostile to that view but ultimately you can be content even if people are being hostile because you know that your view is correct your principles are correct your knowledge is correct and everyone else is wrong so then we have this overall quite humorous image of the priest in the forest among the animals And why is this the case? Because the priest is among God's creation, loves God's creation, but at the same time does not love mankind, finds flaws within mankind, but ultimately loves everything about God and what God creates. Continuing on, when Zarathustra heard these words, he saluted the saint and said, What should I have to give you? But let me go quickly that i may take nothing from you and thus they parted from one another the old man and zarathustra laughing as two boys laugh but when zarathustra was alone he spoke thus to his heart could it be possible the old saint has not heard in his forest that god is dead what a way to end section two with that infamous line of god is dead and it's not the first instance of this famous statement appearing, it appeared earlier in Nietzsche's works in the gay science. And what Nietzsche means by this is not obviously the literal sense of God is dead. What Nietzsche means is rather that we've in a modern sense lost the need for God that is to say god doesn't have the same influence upon us in relation to our knowledge in how we view the world and this is because of the emergence of the sciences and scientific method for understanding the world and a good example of this is from ancient greece in which they thought that snow was caused by zeus getting rid of his dandruff so every year zeus just decides to brush off his excess dandruff No head and shoulders, no shampoo and conditioner, for Zeus of course. Despite being a god, they didn't invent any shampoo or conditioner. And so you have to have a good vigorous shaking of your head in order to get rid of all that excess dandruff. And so if the snow was particularly horrible here, or there's particularly bad blizzards and so on, you may think to yourself, I better go appease Zeus in some way and make him happy and stop this horrible weather. And so you might go to the temple and give a little offering and gift and then hopefully the blizzards might go away and the weather might get a little bit better and of course in modern science we don't have the idea of Zeus going to be sat there for how snow is created and that's what Nietzsche is saying that God has lost a sense of use in relation to our knowledge, that God really doesn't pervade our knowledge in the same way that he used to because of modern science. And I think that Nietzsche's also alluding here to the fact that we need a new form of philosophy, which is going to be his philosophy, that is going to teach us as we go along, not one that focuses upon God or metaphysical approach, in a traditional sense of it, but one that focuses on mankind, the world, the body, and something that can be practical and useful for us. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. In the next episode, we will be dealing with a very exciting concept of the Superman in Nietzsche's philosophy, dealing with section three in the prologue, feel free to contact me and ask any questions at my email address, dissectingphilosophy at gmail.com, or you can also reach me at Twitter at Man. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you join us next time.